Welcome to The Modern Lawyer, a podcast about the changes and growth in the modern legal industry. I'm your host, Anand Upadhyay. Today on the podcast, let's explore the world of knowledge management with a little help from our friend, Jeff Rovner, Managing Director for Information at O'Melveny & Myers, and a legend in the field. We will be talking about where this idea of knowledge management came from and where this is all going. His specialty, and we'll get into this, is the, quote, artful application of technology to the practice of law. This episode covers several topics, including Jeff's chance move to the KM world, the McKinsey and Bain approach to knowledge management, and Jeff's predictions of where legal technology and the legal industry are going. We hope you find it interesting. Fundamentally, knowledge management is the practice of acquiring, controlling, and utilizing vast amounts of knowledge in service of the key objectives of your firm. In short, it's the practice of getting the right information to the right people in their moment of need. The term knowledge management is new to the legal industry, and Jeff was one of the key early innovators in this space. You know, I came at it haphazardly. I, I was a practicing lawyer for 14 years, and I've always had a passion, and, a, and maybe it's a passion, maybe it's a, a neurosis, but uh, a desire to organize things in my life, to, um, to put in the work up front, to set up approaches to the way I live so that my life would be smooth and graceful and, and uh, you know, as free as possible from from last minute uh, frustrations. So I was doing the same thing with my legal practice. I was a municipal bond lawyer and uh, I was I was not only practicing, but I was also kind of reflecting on what I was doing in my work and trying to find ways to make it easier the next time. And when uh, the technology tools first started uh, arising, personal computers long before the internet, I was using uh, databases and personal information managers and other things to take a lot of the tedium away from the day-to-day -day work that I was doing in my practice. And then um, uh, you know, the tools became better, the, the technologies for sharing information became better, and I was, um, I was using these things pretty extensively, and the chairman of uh, the firm where I was working, Morrison Forster, just happened to be visiting uh, my office one day, saw what I was doing, and said, you know, you, you really need to uh, continue doing what you're doing, but in your spare time, you need to chair our technology committee, okay, and right. you need to get everybody working this way. He saw that lawyers in any practice would benefit if they could, if someone could reflect upon what they're doing and then make it uh, smoother to do on a, you know, uh, on a repeat basis. So I, you know, I, I did that kind of you know, living two lives for a while. And then a buddy of mine uh, at the, uh, the Brobeck firm, may it rest in peace, <laughs> you know, call, called me one day. He knew what I was doing and he said, you know, you, you really love this uh, organizing uh, technology thing. Uh, why don't you come over here and do that as your full-time job? And if you hate it or, you know, we don't make any uh, sense of it, you can always go back to being a bond lawyer. And uh, so that I, I took him up on that offer and, and for 21 years haven't uh, looked back. I 
before right. anyone else right. had done the same thing. In fact, there, there was an article that came out about a year into my new job in profiling me and Adam Bendel, who was at uh, Gibson Dunn, as the only people who had done this, who had left a uh, legal practice to do this thing that had no name. And it was only when I was uh, asked to speak at a, a conference and I was sitting reading the conference materials before I went on that I came across an article about knowledge management and suddenly had the realization that there was a name for this thing that I had been doing. And once, of course, once you know the name for it, then you can begin studying it and finding where it's being used, you know, more professionally elsewhere. And that got me into the big four and McKinsey and on and on and on. But uh, until that time, which was really a full year into into my work, I had no idea that this was an actual thing, you know, in, in the real world. Where law firms were, and this is going back to 1996, what, what you would think of as knowledge management was really file cabinets of precedent materials and, and librarians. Uh, but you know, that's sort of where the state of the art was. The, the, the top consulting firms became very good at creating products, standardized products, around common um, client problems. So they would they would dispatch um, uh, you know professionals to get very deep relationships with clients, not not serving them you know in any kind of uh, advisory way. But where their day job was to get to know the clients and their needs, right, and then to pass those needs on to the people back at the at the firm who could figure out ways to solve them, and in doing that, generalize those solutions so that other clients could benefit from them also. So I think they they were um, they were attentive to the possibility of creating products. Uh, out of uh, out, out of what may have started with a single client, you know, problem, and law firms, you know, in general have not been very good at that. Um, we, you know, we we certainly see commonalities from one engagement to the next, but we don't typically turn our advice into a product that um, can be can be sold to all clients similarly situated. Do you think that law firms, as a as a whole, have something to learn with respect to um, resource management, uh, knowledge management from uh, you know the, the 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 consulting from the consulting world? But I think it goes the other way as well. I mean, I I talked to people at some of the the big four uh, accounting firms who had um, discovered that they were producing a lot of knowledge artifacts. But nobody was really paying attention within the organization. And when they were required to justify their existence uh, financially by having um, by having the the uh, the folks out in the field uh, pay for the use of knowledge management resources, they discovered that some of those resources just you know didn't really have a, a customer. So. So I, I think law firms, because law firms are kind of late to this and skeptical, there was an imperative to make make sure that KM was valuable and, and really hitting an actual need. The recession in 2008 had a huge impact on law firms' investments in knowledge management. In fact, Jeff sees that clients are demanding efficiency and accountability more than ever before. First, you, one of the consequences of it was 
a lot of clients simply didn't have the the money to pay as much as they had paid in the past for their legal services, and the the total amount of legal work was dropping. So um, so law firms, you know, trying to meet client demand, were trying to figure out how to deliver their work less expensively. In some cases, uh, experimenting more with alternative fee arrangements. And in any kind of a fixed fee arrangement, a law firm has a, um, a direct incentive to reduce the cost of producing the legal work. So uh, knowledge management, you know, is one of the most effective ways to to reduce the internal cost of production for, for legal work. And so knowledge management suddenly became more important for that reason. I think the other thing, the, the third thing is that during that, uh, that time, around 2008, we saw the emergence of a lot of um, new kinds of organizations that could handle some of the tasks that previously had been done by law firms. And legal departments became more you know, experimental in trying some of these things and getting good results. So suddenly you had a different kind of uh, competitor uh, that you know, spurred on a uh, different kind of thinking in the law firm. Over at O'Melveny, Jeff is able to see growth in the knowledge management space, but there is still a lot to be done. There are some important things that need to be addressed before we see further growth, and there are a lot of difficult decisions that need to be made. One of the things that's on, um, I think, the radar of a lot of KM uh, departments is the, the, the way to strike the right balance between clients' fully justifiable demand for security and for segmentation of data within the, the client data within the firm, to balance that with the need for the lawyers within the firm to share knowledge with one another. Um, so the, the client is, is drawn to the law firm in the first instance because the law firm is so good at uh, sharing its knowledge that whatever lawyer works on the client's matter is going to have the benefit of the whole organization. But that can be at odds with uh, you know, the desire to lock data down and, and protect against the fallout of uh, data breaches. So that, that's a, a, a topic that I think we need to find you know, better, better um, accommodations for. I think for a long time, most firms have put some information in the cloud at the client's request or insistence. A quick note here. A few years ago, any technology involving the cloud was automatically rejected by law firms, especially if they needed to rely on it to store confidential information. In e-discovery work, work where uh, firms are collaborating on behalf of a client, um, you know, there, there have long been extranets and, and uh, other kinds of sites that held client data. But it was always with uh, client approval and in some cases client insistence. Uh, now we're moving into a, you know, an area where firms are taking their entire document management system and putting it in the cloud. Um, and, and I think what we've begun to see is a, is a shift that started slowly, but it's gaining momentum um, from the, the initial view that clients, particularly security-sensitive uh, clients, disfavor the use of the cloud to the idea that maybe some of these cloud providers have the resources and the personnel and the focus on security to be able, in some cases, to deliver security that's superior to what you know a private law firm could do. So we're starting to see, uh, I think, a migration of attitude 
uh, toward cloud computing. So now the question Jeff answers is how emerging legal technology will aid knowledge management. We've already seen analytics and AI come up, but the next 10 years could hold a lot more for KM. One basic but necessary requirement is simply making sure that legal technology is being adopted and actually used. Having been at uh, KM now for 20 years among the law firm community, we are getting to those second and third order problems that McKinsey and the big four had You know, uh, when I started doing this, which is to say we have accumulated a lot of uh, information and data and databases, search systems, best practice libraries, you know, and, and on and on and on, but uh, are facing, um, you know, diminishing returns in user adoption of all that material. So we've got to get better at how we connect information to the people who would benefit from it. And uh, so one of the things that we're beginning to experiment with is the notion of a, a sort of automatic knowledge management, uh, which is to say, um, systems that understand enough about what you, the lawyer, are working on and doing that we can reliably serve up to you the kind of information that you would find on your own in our systems if you were high, if you knew everything that uh, was available to you and were skilled at using it. I, I think adoption, the adoption problem will go away, but it won't be a good day when it does. I would say that adoption is the is white whale that I have been chasing and, and trying to, to um, you know, defeat uh, in 21 years of, of knowledge management work. So it started with getting to know what a particular group uh, in a law firm did so well that you could uh, confidently put in a, in a shared space materials that you knew those people would need to, to do their work. And in a way, you could say that was kind of the high watermark of knowledge management because you you were giving people uh, things that you could be very confident they wanted and things they couldn't find any other way. Right. So that, that's sort of where things started. But it didn't provide scale. You couldn't apply that approach to, you know, the, 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 the several hundred different kinds of legal work that a law firm did. So we tried to scale this up by creating, you know, enterprise search tools um, and other other systems that drew from the larger work product that came out of the firm, and that has worked pretty well. But over time, we've accumulated so many of these tools that you can't expect a busy lawyer to know that all of them exist, let alone to know how to use them well enough to use them in the moment when they're needed. Right. So. We then created um, uh, tools like our Omni system to try to make all of these things feel more integrated. So like Google, you could see them as one thing rather than as a collection of a bunch of different technologies. That led us then to Omelet, which was our attempt to marry all of these technologies and other uh, research databases and so on to the tasks that arise in litigation so that our omelet system could list the 400 tasks that can occur in a, in a O'Melveny litigation matter, and then marry each task to the smartest way, most efficient way we know to do that task, whether that, that method is CARA, or it's uh, a particular search, or, or using a, a, you know, some other um, tool. The, so the lawyer having to know that those things exist and how to use them, we could present them in the context of the task.
even that, uh, you know, is it doesn't doesn't get you all the way there. People have to know that omelet exists, right? So I think the you know the dream that some people have is that law firms will operate more like an assembly line, so that each person will know the station that they go to to respond to a motion for summary judgment, and when there's a smarter way to operate that station of the line it'll be swapped in and the person who's standing there will simply use, you know, the new tool that's better to, to do that task. But most of the lawyers that I know who are, you know, graduated at the top of their class from the best law schools don't want to operate like, you know, cogs in a machine that way. So what I think we've begun to see is, um, you know, a bifurcation of tasks where the most process-laden tasks uh, like uh, e-discovery document review and due diligence in M&A deals is going to a different group of folks who are comfortable operating in that kind of a high process approach. Um, and that's kind of split off from everything else. I think, you know, if you go all the way out to the end of your 10 years, you may find that it is machines that are using these technologies, not lawyers. And uh, how much of a leap is it? Let's say that a law firm has 200 different uh, knowledge management tools or resources at its disposal. And it, and it gets so good at knowing uh, how to use them and how to apply them to the legal work that it can create systems to guide busy lawyers to the right tool and to explain exactly how to use it in the moment. Well, once you've done all that defining and, and listing, how much of a stretch is it to imagine programming an AI machine to follow those same instructions, to use those same tools in exactly the way that you, you know, are trying to train people to, to use them? So I think we're in, a, we're, we're in an in-between moment in which we are trying to make the lawyers and the machines or software uh, capable partners to operate closely together to do what neither one could do individually. So that that's you know one uh, approach to ensuring that all of these useful tools are are actually getting used. Kind of a KM system that that knows what you want. And it doesn't make the mistake Microsoft did with the, that annoying Clippy tool, right? That that because if your assumptions are wrong and you deliver irrelevant information or, or incorrect information, it's worse than, you know, of course, than having done nothing at all. Yeah, it has to be right. But then on the other hand, Jeff sees some very exciting things coming up, like machine learning with direct applications to law. You know, knowledge management has, has been become pretty good at mining information within the law firm but uh, not so good at mining information outside the law firm. And, uh, you know, lawyers uh, you know, until recently have relied on Westlaw and Lexis, you know, sort of the traditional uh, tools to get at case information. But we're now seeing uh, the emergence of uh, tools like CARA and uh, Ravel, Lex Machina, that uh, are drawing from enormous uh, data sets outside the firm, uh, in some cases data sets that the firm would otherwise have no access to, and then deriving useful uh, information from those that can be served up in very targeted ways. And I think that's very exciting 
uh, you know, again, assuming that we can solve the the adoption problem. Um, so, you know, fortunately for for uh, for lawyers and for for uh, my firm and and so on, um, a lot of those uh, tasks that lawyers uh, perform are are proving really difficult uh, to uh, automate. You know, and and uh, so I think we, we're we still have a long stretch and and perhaps an indefinite stretch where the lawyers and machines will be working together. But, right. you know, it's reasonable to expect that as time goes on, more and more of the things we think are uniquely human uh, capabilities will be automated. I, I guess I see all of the forces at play um, driving toward uh, an end state in which um, the industry settles into different, uh, into defined categories. So today, you know, we have uh, firms that do a combination of, uh, you know, very repetitive work, you know, sort of the kind of work that, uh, you know, that can be reduced to a routine, uh, but also do work that's completely novel, where the legal theories are not well known, where the, the laws that are being manipulated are brand new, and there isn't much uh, case guidance behind them. So, you know, you have words, work, firms that are living in these two different worlds, and that's tricky because the KM approach uh, and several other kinds of internal firm approaches that one would apply to the first kind of firm are very different from the ones they would apply to the second. And so a lot of firms are operating in this kind of inefficient uh, middle ground where they're trying to be a lot of different things um, and to still be efficient. And, and, uh, and clients are gaining much greater transparency into law firm capabilities and pricing and so forth because of all the analytics tools that are being made available to them. So I think all of that um, that transparency is going to drive um, you know pricing pressures that will that will force firms to sort of choose um, a business model and then to optimize around that business model. Jeff, I want to uh, really thank you. This has been incredibly interesting. I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a complete pleasure, Anand. We are so glad you joined us for our discussion with Jeff, a pioneer in the industry, about the past, present, and future of knowledge management. From knowledge management's consulting roots to the application of data science and AI to the potential challenges of tech adoption, we hope that there are some interesting takeaways. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you. As you know, we're just starting out and highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at anandatcasetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.